Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. All right. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, Merry Christmas. Welcome to Lighthouse Community. Uh, Glad every one of you are here today. I especially want to welcome all of our guests who are with us. Thanks for being here on this Christmas Eve morning. Uh, We've got a great, great service uh, planned today, and it's going to be a good morning. I did want to share a quick update with our church family um, about some things going on with our Building to Change Lives campaign. There was a pretty big moment that happened just a few days ago, actually Friday of this week, um, where uh, Larry Sewell, who was just up here, he's one of our elders, and Don Basel met with Klaus Construction, who they are a construction company. And what happened on Friday is that we have officially signed our contract for construction, put our down payment in. We got our steel ordered for our building that's going up in 2024. So like, yeah, <laughs> we're excited. This is happening, okay? Uh, it's like we are on the roller coaster, clicking up, and you ain't getting off now, okay? So uh, it's going to be great. I want to say thank you to everybody who's been so instrumental in moving this thing forward. Uh, Literally, there are hundreds of people in Lighthouse community, Living Hope, and Bluffton community who God has been using to move this project forward to expand the gospel even further in Hancock County. And I know for a while it's felt like this theoretical, philosophical thing that's out there. It's real, okay? It is go time. This is happening. It's awesome. So be ready for more updates uh, coming up on that as well. Okay, I want you to imagine for a moment, you are, uh, you're sharing, you're at Chipotle, you're having lunch with another person, right? Um, the, the conversation is going great, the burritos are flowing, right? You're laughing, everything's fantastic. And then, all of a sudden, it happens. The person across the table from you looks at you, and they smile. And when they smile, you see they have a giant piece of cilantro in their teeth, okay? What do you do? What are you going to do, right? Like, because the choice is you tell them and you go through that moment and like, oh, oh, oh my goodness, you know, look away. And, um, or you don't tell them and now, right, you just, you're rolling the dice that that thing's going to make its way out of there before they see anybody else, right? It's like, what do you do in that moment, what, what, but what about this, right? What about this? You go throughout your whole day, you get home, you head in the bathroom, you look in the mirror, and it, you're the one with the cilantro in your teeth, right? Like, there it is, staring right back at you. Hello. And, and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I've walked all throughout the whole day, and nobody said anything, right? And, and it's embarrassing, and it's humbling, and you're like, oh, I can't believe that. So as a Christmas gift to one another, I want you to look at the person to your left, <laughs> smile (laughs) and say, you're good, (laughs) or hello to the cilantro, Uh, right? Well, now we know if anybody leaves the room in the next three minutes. (laughs) Okay, all right. But when that happens, if that's ever happened to you, it's, it, it is. It's embarrassing. It's very humbling. And I think a lot of the times when we think of the word humility, that's what we think of. We think of something embarrassing that has happened, something that kind of brings a little bit of a level of shame with it, that humility is insecurity, 
That humility is a lack of boldness. That humility is being indecisive or living without passion and you're just kind of floating along through life. But that's, that's actually not what humility is at all. And that's definitely not how the Bible describes humility. And, and what you need to know is that humility is absolutely central to living life as a Christian. Humility is absolutely central to living life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so today, what I want to do, as Larry had mentioned, we're in this series, I want to show you why Jesus' birth is humble, and it displays humility, and then I want to talk about why humility is so important for us and, and how to grow in that as well. And so if you brought a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to Luke chapter 2. Luke is the third book in the New Testament, Luke chapter 2. We're going to start there. But I also want you to just kind of put a mark into James chapter 4. That's a little bit later in the New Testament. We're going to start in Luke 2, then we'll make our way over to James chapter 4. While you're finding those, or maybe you're click-clacking over on your device, um, I do want to take a moment and pray. So let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we, we want to hear from you absolutely more than anybody else. God, I'm going to be really transparent in front of my church family is I, I'm not interested in, in like communicating a good sermon. I want to hear from you. I want my family and my friends here this morning to hear from you. We need the voice of God. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We need Jesus to come to his spirit, to come and to saturate this place and to grant us eyes to see and ears to hear and the ability to trust you in a real way and to not simply go through the motions of of Christmas. And so we resist that even now in prayer. And we ask humbly and boldly by faith that you would do the work that only you can do in our hearts and in our minds and in this place. And we ask these things through Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 2, we're going to start right um, in verse 1, and it says this. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told." And so if you've been in church on a Christmas season, this is probably a familiar passage for you. And one of the things that becomes very, very clear as I read through this passage and I think about it is you see that Jesus' birth was humble. His birth was humble. That Jesus' arrival was modest. It was unassuming. I mean, think about this. God himself showed up into his creation. He's a king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's over absolutely everything. And if you were going to think in that time and look back at how a king would arrive into one of his territories or into his kingdom or into a city that belonged to him, likelihood is what would happen is there would be announcements ahead of time. Hey, everybody, the king is on his way. He's going to be here tomorrow. He's going to be here later this afternoon. There might be a countdown beginning to build in the process. There would likely be some kind of a parade of people coming before him to draw attention along the way. There might be trumpets being blown to draw attention to that moment. People are lined up in the city. Fanfare is going on. This king would have had the attention of the entire area he was entering into to say, I'm here. And when you look at the birth of Jesus of God entering into his creation, his kingdom, it's humble. In fact, one of the things he uses is this kind of suspicious looking birth, right? It's like a birth that is of Mary and the Holy Spirit, and we don't really understand, um, right? Like, what is that? We don't understand, and so it's like, that's a part of it. We, we look in this story, and it says there's no room at the inn. I want you to think about this. Joseph, and Joseph has gone back to his hometown. His hometown. Some of you, you've, you're here today. You're here in your hometown. You live somewhere else. You've come back to your hometown. And where are you staying? You're staying with family. Joseph and Mary have to find an inn. Why are they not staying with family in their hometown? Because the likelihood is they have disowned them. Because Mary's pregnant and they're using this cockamamie story that it's not mine, it's actually God's. And their family's going, okay, that's a new one. (laughs) But if you're not going to own up, we all know how this works. We know how you got here, uh, right? And if you're not going to own up, then you're bringing shame on our family and you can't stay with us. And so they have to go find somewhere else to stay. Now, the other thing is When we hear there's no room for them at the inn, my mind, maybe yours does too, I begin to think about like Holiday Inn and Motel 6, right? Like all, that's what I think about. That's not what this would have been. In fact, they called them caravansaries. And what a caravansary was, is it was basically a gigantic square fort. It had four walls. And there was a gate at the front. And so in, the, in many cities, they were public. 
So if you were on a caravan traveling, the gates would open up, you could take your camels, your horses, your donkeys, whatever, and they would stay in the center area there. And so there could be lots and lots of animals staying there. And then the rooms, there have been very, very small rooms built around the perimeter of this caravansary. And that's where you would have stayed, but it would have been very tight. It would have been very clumped. And, and especially if everybody coming back to Bethlehem because they've got to register for this thing, likelihood is not only is there not room for them to be there, but then on top of that, Mary is pregnant. She's about to give birth. Could you imagine staying at the Holiday Inn next to the room of a woman who's giving birth, right, on Christmas, and like no pillow can drown. And so they're going, it's, and it may be that there was no physical room, but also there's no room to give birth in this very public place. It, it's, it wouldn't be right. And so they have to go somewhere else. It's very humble. And then Luke, three times, he wants you to know that after Jesus was born, he was placed in a manger, Three times he makes this point. He was placed in a feeding trough. He was placed in the area where animals go to get their lunch. Jesus' birth is humble. And there was an announcement. There was an announcement. There was an announcement by angels. I imagine it was spectacular. And it was to shepherds. Now, I know for a lot of us, you probably think shepherds and you get the little precious moments, figurines in your mind, like, oh, these cute, you know, or maybe you were a, a shepherd in your Christmas pageant and you're like, oh, cute little shepherds. That is not these people, <laughs> all right? Shepherds in this time were like, they were seen as unclean. These were some of the most dishonest people in the time and the culture. So like what you had is you had like, used camel salesmen, and then below that were shepherds, right? Like that's how it worked in their day. And they're dishonest, and, and these are grimy people. Um, they're not very thoughtful. In fact, the shepherds of the time represented the outcasts of society, and they represented among the religious people the sinners. And that's who the angels announced, the birth of God in the flesh. There was no baby shower. There was no sprinkle. There was no dadgler party. No postcard announcement. Nothing on Instagram, right? Nothing along those lines. It was an angelic choir to the lowest of society out in the middle of nowhere. Why? Why does Luke bring all of this stuff forward? Because in Luke's gospel, one of the things that's so critically important to him is you need to understand that when Jesus came, he came and he flip-flopped everything. One of the more central passages in the entire gospel of Luke is Luke chapter 14, verse 11. I appreciate the way that the Amplified says it. It says this, that for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled before others. And he who habitually humbles himself, meaning keeps a realistic self-view, those people will be exalted. This is central to Luke's gospel. He's saying when Jesus came, he flip-flopped everything. That those who want to come and make their own name great will actually be lowered. And those who recognize who they are before the Lord will be exalted. 
And so you have to see that Jesus' birth, his entry into this world is humble, right? Even John chapter one, verses nine through 11, make this point. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is Jesus. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, right? He made all of creation and the thing that he made did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus' birth was humble, clearly. So the question becomes, well, why? Why was Jesus' birth so humble? And you look forward and ahead and realize that Jesus' birth is giving hints to the salvation that he's going to offer. And so if Jesus' birth is humble, what it's pointing to is the fact that Jesus' salvation is for the humble. Jesus' salvation is for the humble. Now, I know some of you haven't been here through this whole series, and so we've been using uh, a definition for salvation. Um, And so I can't get into the whole thing. If you want to go back, you can look at uh, or listen to week one. But essentially, when we're talking about salvation, it's this three-part aspect that the first part is you're being rescued from sin and death. The second part is your spirit is being renewed. And then the third part of salvation is you're being brought into a right relationship with God. And so that's salvation. It's rescue, it's renewal, and it's a right relationship with God. And so you have to see that Jesus' salvation is for the humble. And so when we're talking about humble, what's interesting is one of the first definitions that comes up for humble is it's this, a person who lacks pride and arrogance. So, so to start with it, for our time and our culture, the word is defined by what it's not. Because very quickly, we immediately go, I know what pride is. I know what arrogance is. And the definition, it's not that. Actually, it's the, it's the absence of that. It's the opposite of that. And then it goes on to say that it's, this is someone who has a modest opinion of themselves. But the more you dig into this word humble, in fact, there's another layer, there's multiple layers to this word And another understanding to the word humility is to destroy the independence of a person. Is to destroy the independence of a person. I want you to keep that in your mind because we're going to come back to that. And then I think when the Bible defines humility, the Bible defines it this way, is to have a right view of God, a right view of yourself in the light of God's glory. I think that's how the Bible defines would definitively define humility, to have a right view of yourself in the light of God's glory. And so when you begin to think about Jesus' salvation being for the humble, that means that Jesus' salvation is for those who don't want to live their life without God. That's who salvation is for. It's not for the people who think they're fine and they're just looking for like one or two points to better up a little bit. These are people who they don't want to live. They don't want to survive. They don't want to exist without God. These are people who see themselves rightly in light of God's glory and in his holiness. And so you begin to see very clearly that Jesus' salvation is for the humble. Why? Why is Jesus' salvation for the humble and not for the arrogant and not for the prideful? I'll tell you why. Firstly, because God is drawn to humility. God is drawn to humility, right? If you flip over to James chapter four, some of you have had your finger in that mark for all like, oh, finally, we're going there. James chapter four, verse six says this, that God opposes the, yeah. Let that sink in for just a second. 
In fact, let's read this passage out loud together, starting with God opposes the proud. Are you ready? Go. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to... He opposes the arrogant, but he shows favor to the humble. God is drawn to humility. That's why Jesus' salvation is for the humble. Another reason that Jesus' salvation is for the humble is because Jesus himself is humble. Jesus himself is humble. We see that from his birth. Later in his ministry, he's teaching. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, what Jesus says is he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Right? And he goes on to say, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your soul. Jesus says, I'm humble. Right? I'm humble. When we think about that definition of the word humility that we've looked at before, Jesus is the epitome of having a right view of himself in light of God's glory and holiness. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew that he was the son of God. Jesus knew that he was the creator of the universe. Jesus had a right view of who he was in the light of God's glory and his holiness. But the other side of that definition is there was no way in the world that Jesus was ever going to exist or live without God. He was constantly destroying his own independence from God. And he just consistently kept choosing to rely and depend and keep his focus on God all of the time. In John, multiple, the Gospel of John, multiple times he says, I only do that which the Father tells me to do. I only say that which the Father tells me to say. The Son has not come to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father. Jesus is humble, and that's why his salvation is only for the humble. But there's another reason why Jesus' salvation is only for the humble, and it's this. We've already talked about that pride is the opposite of humility. Also, pride is sin. Pride is sin. Just at its core, pride is sin. And I appreciate what the Christian author C.S. Lewis wrote. And in fact, he's, he didn't come up with it really on his own. He's borrowing from previous uh, thinkers like Augustine and Thomas Aquinas and all of that. But he writes this. He says, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride is the complete anti-state. It's an anti-God state of mind. The reason pride is sin is because what pride really desires most is power. What pride enjoys the most is power and being in control. And so what it plays out is, is pride plays out in the man who wants more wealth, who wants more respect, who wants more position because pride never has enough and it's seeking power and control over others. This is the woman who might use her desire for attention who might try to manipulate and control the people around them because pride desires power and control. This is the child who at school must be first in line every time, right? You're going to the drinking fountain. 
Get there first. Go to the bathroom. I'm eating there first. Some of you remember that kid in school. Some of you were that kid in school, right? <laughs> That's why you got here early this morning. No, just kidding. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, <laughs> right? But pride, pride is sin. You have to know that. It is, it is the complete anti-God state of mind. This is why salvation is only for the humble. The other reason that salvation is only for the humble, you need to, you, Christians, right, whether you believe or not, everybody needs to hear this, is that growing in humility is God's plan for your spiritual growth. Let me say that again. That is so critical. Growing, increasing in humility is God's plan for your spiritual growth. So I, I put together, um, I had Anna de- develop a little graph for us to help us kind of understand that you see here, right? When you're going towards self, you're just pursuing sin. You're pursuing pride. You're chasing after what you desire and what you want. And you're walking in darkness. You're walking in blindness. And the further you go after self, the further you're walking away from the Lord, But there's a moment for every person who's met Jesus and been born again where you cross over into life and you cross over into light and you begin to pursue the Lord. But the more you pursue the Lord, the more you pursue humility. You you see, you you cannot have pride of self in the presence of God. And let me tell you, and, and, and and that's crazy. That's an amazing thought because in our culture, our culture encourages pride. Our culture says, have everybody look at you. See, whether you realize it or not, every single one of us have a shrine to ourselves. For, for this culture, it's Instagram and it's Facebook, right? It's a shrine. Look at me. Look how great my life is. Look at these trips. Look at these things. Look how happy I am. It's a shrine to ourselves. And you go, well, I don't have Instagram. I'm fine. Every one of us has a shrine in our own heart. Because I think about me more than anybody else in the world. I worry about me more than anybody else in the world. I think about how that person, what they do affects me. How come they didn't think about me when they had a pregnancy? I have things going on in my life. Why didn't they think about me when they scheduled this thing? Why didn't they think, right? Why didn't they think about it? And so we all have these shrines. And when you come to faith in Christ, you begin to move away from self, from self and sin, and you move towards God, and the closer you move towards God, the more you move to humility. Why? Because the closer you get to God, and the more you see God rightly, the more you see your self rightly. And, and you realize, I, I need God to exist. I just, I just need him to exist. And so growing in humility is God's plan for your life. That's why salvation is for the humble. And so then the question that comes out of that for me is, okay, well, what do we do now? What's next? Where do we go in the next place? And I think if you still have James open, I want you to look at James chapter four, verse 10. Because right after, right, shortly after verse six, right, God opposes the proud, he shows favor to the humble. Verse 10 shows up and say this, says this, humble yourselves, before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves, right? This is a command. Humble yourselves. And so the question then gets asked really, really quickly, well, how in the world am I supposed to humble myself? How do I do that? Because the scripture wouldn't give you a command that you couldn't, you couldn't accomplish through faith in Jesus Christ. So clearly, this is something for us to do. And so how do I humble myself? Well, here's just a couple of quick ways I think the scripture would say. The first one is this, is to ask where pride is present in my life. 
Where is pride present in my life? Where am I choosing independence from God? Where am I resisting God's direction? Where am I resisting the way that God wants to lead because I want to do what I want to do? By the way, pride is very, very sneaky. It will hide in the cracks and the crevices of your heart. Pride will hide in the good work that you do for people. Because you'll actually like, I'm going to make this meal for this other person. And in the crack and the crevice of that good work, there's a desire to go, and that'll look really good on me. When I, and it'll feel really good to me when I do this thing. Right? Pride is sneaky. And so I think the way you humble yourself is you ask where pride is present. And I think you, in prayer, you ask the Holy Spirit. You ask the Holy Spirit to reveal areas of pride. Uh, a really good prayer you might borrow from is Psalm 139. It says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So you might pray and ask God, ask the Spirit to reveal those areas where pride is creeping. You want to go another layer? You know what's amazing? It is like so easy to pinpoint pride in someone else's life. You ever notice that? It's really easy to see arrogance in the life of another person, and yet it is almost impossible to see your own. It's almost impossible to be able to see the pride in your own life. So what you might do if you want to be really brave is ask a friend. Ask a friend, hey, are, you, are, you, are there ways that you're seeing pride and arrogance play out in my life? And if they really love you, they'll go, are you ready for this? (laughs) And that's when you go, you have cilantro in your teeth. And you leave, right? Um, (laughs) But ask, ask where pride is present. Here's a second way to humble yourself. Confess. Confess. Confess your, your pride, confess your sin to the Lord. And the reason why is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess. You see what God does? If we confess, then he will do this. The other thing, again, if you want to dial it up a notch, You might confess your pride or your sin to another trusted believer because James 5.16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed, all right? Confess your sins, pray to each other, or uh, pray for each other so that you may be healed. And so that's a way to humble yourself, to know that another human being knows and they're praying for you and they're Right? They're encouraging you, and they can hold you accountable, all of those things. And so ask where pride is present, confess sin, but here might be one of the most powerful ways to humble yourself that the scriptures point to, is look at God. Look at God. See God with the most clarity that you can. Read Bible passages about his power and his glory and his holiness and his righteousness and his wrath and his justice and his perfection and his glory and his majesty and just get the clearest view of God as he's revealed himself that you possibly can. Look at him and then look at him again and then meditate on his character and see what he has done. See who he is. See what he's accomplished through Jesus that you could have never accomplished on yourself and let that fill you because the more you see God, 
the more you'll see yourself and it will humble you. How are you gonna, how are you gonna stand in the presence of a holy God of light and power and majesty and still proclaim your own greatness? My guess is the more you look at God, you're going to have the encounter that Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah had that he described in chapter six of the book that he wrote, where he's standing in the temple and God's presence shows up and he sees and he goes, oh my, I'm ruined. I can't stand before this holy God. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people with unclean lips. I deserve to, I deserve to die. I, I can't, right? I can't even stand in your presence, God. And it's in that moment that you begin to realize that it's only, only by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, that any of us can approach God and stand in his presence. The more you see God clearly, you can't help but cross into humility. You can't help but see yourself rightly. And so James says, humble yourself before the Lord. And when you humble yourself before the Lord, it says the Lord will be the one who exalts you. You don't have to exalt yourself. You don't have to make your name great. You don't have to let everybody know what you're doing. If the Lord wants to do that, he'll do that. You don't have to. By the way, um, we've put together just a little guide because I know we've covered a lot of content, a little guide called the how to humble yourself guide. And if on the back of your blue connection card, if you want to receive that guide, we'll email that to you later this week. Probably not tomorrow because tomorrow's Christmas. Ain't nobody checking email tomorrow. Um, you shouldn't be. Um, but later this week, we'll send that to you, and that'll have some helpful things from the scripture to go, okay, how, how do I humble myself before the Lord? And to do that. We read a passage earlier in the service, and I want to come back to it for just a moment. We meditated on it. It's Philippians chapter 2, and it says this. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and this is the next part, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. What was the pathway for humility in Jesus' life? It was obedience. It was obedience. It was obedience to the will of God. Because you have to know that in Isaiah chapter 53, it says it was God's, it was God's good will to crush him. It was God's will for Jesus to die in our place for our sin, for our pride. And Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient. By the way, verse 5, which comes right before 6, 7, and 8, talking about Jesus humbling himself. Verse 5 says this, you have the same mindset as Jesus. The mindset of humility have that same mindset in Christ Jesus. So my question to you, what is your step of obedience that God has been asking you to take? What's your step today? What's maybe your step this week? 
right? Maybe, maybe for some of you, there's, God has been asking you to make that phone call to that person. And you're going, I don't want to. You don't understand, Lord. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what they said. They, know, they don't call me. I'm not calling them. What text message is the Lord asking you to make that you don't want to do? What gift is the Lord leading you to give? And you're going, they don't deserve it. I'm not giving that to them. Not happening. What forgiveness have you been withholding? You don't understand, Lord. She, she's the one. He never. They always. And I'm not, I'm not forgiving them. What step of obedience is God inviting you into? Maybe today is the day where you know God has been inviting you to receive new life in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. You have to understand that Jesus' salvation is for the humble. It's for those who don't want to live without God. It's for those who see God with clarity and they see themselves with clarity. And they see their utter dependence on God's mercy. It's for those who desire to live under God's leadership. And, and God makes himself so available that if you want him, come and get him. I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And to ask this one question that we ask every Sunday at Lighthouse. And it says, Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And then I just want you to listen to him for a moment. And, and I do want to provide just a moment of clarity on that question. Because I know for some of you, go, Fritz, you ask this question every single Sunday. Jesus, what are you saying to me? Jesus, what are you saying to me? And I, I don't know. In fact, during this part of the message, I actually tend to just check out because I don't think there's anything here for me. How do I know if it's me? How do I know if it's God? I'll just tell you how I know when God is speaking to me at the end of a message. Because you need to know, even when I'm teaching, I hear God speak to me through the scripture I'm reading, through the truth that I'm teaching to you. Jesus is teaching it to me freshly again. And when I come to these moments and I say, Jesus, what are you saying to me through this message? I'll know because what has happened is there's a moment in the message that just almost just gets its teeth into my soul. And all throughout the message, I just keep coming back to that thought, that reality, that truth, and I can't get away from it. And when I ask the question, Jesus, what are you saying to me through that message? It's like right there. And I, I know that that's Jesus speaking to me and pointing that out to me. And so maybe that's helpful for you if you struggle how to hear Jesus speaking to you in the message. But just ask him right now, Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And hear what he has to say to you. Lord, we praise you that we can come to you in, in all of our messed up thoughts and all of our messed up things and, and so self-centered that when we come to you by grace through faith, believing that you, you are the one who can transform our lives, you are the one we are made for, you are the one that you begin to do this amazing, miraculous work, that actually it's through humility 
It's through resisting pride. It's through, through battling against myself. Right? Your Holy Spirit opens up my eyes and goes, do you see that that life is a pitch in the dirt? And, and there's this moment of clarity. You'll go, yeah, I do see that. So now what? And Jesus says, come. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me and I will give you rest. Because I am gentle and humble of heart. And so the only way to the humble one is through humility. May your spirit empower us to cross that line. One of the things we love to do at Lighthouse Community is to pray for one another. And so we want to pray for you. And so let me tell you what's going to happen is the band's going to come up on stage and they're going to lead us through just one more song. And during that song, we're going to have prayer leaders who are going to be available in each corner of the room. And so I'm going to ask those prayer leaders if they will actually begin making their way to those corners now so that people know that they're, you're ready to receive them in prayer. So we'll have one up here by the cross. We'll have one over here by the sign, back by the double doors, over here by the sound booth as well. And so uh, these are people who are ready and trained to pray with you about absolutely anything in your life, anything at all. And please don't ever be embarrassed to want to receive prayer. Because we all need prayer. I mean, I need prayer. Larry needs prayer. I work with Anna. She needs prayer. Right? We all need it. And so there's nothing, right? And I get it. For some of us, it's actually a step of humility to get out of your seat and to go to a corner and to ask somebody to pray for you. Maybe that's the step for you today. Could be. But if you're here in the house, I'm going to ask you to stand as we go to go enter into worship. And I want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.